Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter number 17. Let me catch us up. It's been a couple, two or three weeks since we've been able to be here um, in this study. And we're looking at a timeline, a chronological timeline of the end times. And we want to see the order of things that we believe the scripture teaches about these future events. Currently, we're living in the church age. And that's where we're at right now. And the next event we are looking for, praise the Lord, maybe tonight, the rapture. Amen? I am looking forward to that rapture. Uh, the Lord's return, bringing us out of here, out of this mess. Again, as Pastor Tangeman said this evening, I echo, thank you for your hard work, your prayers, your dedication in this recent election. Not everything went the way perhaps that we were hoping or praying, uh, but our duty was to go and to work, and it's God's uh, plan now, and we trust Him. And so believe him, and so, but uh, um, one day the Lord will just remove us from all of this, all of his children, and we look forward to that. And right after that is uh, we are entering into this seven years of tribulation period, and that's where we've been for some time. It's been the majority of our study. It's a seven-year period, but it covers a lengthy passage of Scripture in the Bible. And so we've been taking our time going through the book of Revelation, studying this. And, um, and so you have that rapture. Uh, where we're raptured out of here, and you have that first three and a half years, and then there's a second three and a half years of that tribulation period, and then the Lord returns. The rapture, he's in the clouds and brings us out of here. The return, he comes all the way back, and he's going to establish a kingdom. That'll be the next major event we're going to study, is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ after we complete uh, this, this section on the tribulation period. If we were to highlight the tribulation, we would highlight it by the three sets of judgments that, we've, that we're studying. Uh, we saw the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and we just completed the vile judgments in chapter number 16. Uh, let me remind you of these vials. Remember, there were seven angels that carried vials or bowls uh, containing the wrath of God upon a rejecting earth, an earth and a people that have rejected him. And uh, again, chapter 16 of Revelation describes some horrific events that will take place here on the earth. If you remember, vial number one in chapter 16 focused on the people that had the mark of the beast, those individuals that had received the mark of the beast, and these individuals will contract, the Bible calls them grievous sores. Their body will, uh, will surface with all of these, these sores, these infectious sores, these uh, uh, painful sores all upon their body. Uh, one commentator that I read said they may be of, of a malignant uh, uh, nature, uh, uh, things that have surfaced and have broken through the skin, and no doubt, no doubt very, very painful. The vial number two focused on the sea or the salt waters of, of the earth. And uh, these seas will turn into blood, and all of the things that live in the seas will die. Vial number three affects the fresh bodies of water. And again, they become blood, and everything in them dies. Now, we paused on those two vials to think about that 70% of the earth is covered by water. And to think how horrific those two plagues are going to be, 
when the seas and the waters of the earth all turn to blood and everything in them is going to die, it certainly is going to wreak havoc upon the earth. Can you imagine the stench of death that is everywhere all around the earth during that time? Vial number four, it, it affects the sun and brings a great intensity of the sun's heat, even greater than it is now, uses a term that men will be scorched with fire. And so there's an intensity of the sun. Um, at the end of that fourth vial, it's interesting in chapter number 16, look with me if you will real quick as we're reviewing here and before we get into chapter 17 tonight. Look at verse number 9. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name, of, the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. We've had the trumpet judgments. We've had the seal judgments. They're in the middle of now these vile judgments. God's wrath poured upon the earth. And you would think mankind would be, Lord, I give up. I surrender. Please help me. Begging for his mercy. Begging for his help. And man continues to blaspheme God and to curse God and refuses to repent. This leads us to the fifth vial. And this vial, if you remember, it said that it would affect the seat of the beast. We think this of his kingdom, of his domain. Perhaps this particular uh, plague did not affect the whole earth, but maybe just there where the beast is at. Uh, of course, we're going to talk about that tonight, Babylon, his kingdom. And it's a, a plague of darkness. Darkness will cover them, a darkness that, that man could feel. Of course, man, it says in John chapter 3, verse 19, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Uh, men, evil men, have chosen darkness, and God's going to give them what they have desired. It's going to be a darkness that they can feel. It's going to be a darkness that is heavy upon them. It's going to be a darkness that will be a foreshadowing of their future. Many times throughout the scriptures, Jesus and others describe hell as a place of outer darkness, complete darkness. And this is what these people will have. And once again, in these verses here, uh, we see that man's response is not to repent, not to beg God for mercy, but they blaspheme God and they repent not. Vial number six attacks the Euphrates River. We're going to talk about the river again this evening, the Euphrates River. But this time, in this, in this instance here in chapter 16, vial number 6 dries up this river, which will enable the armies of the east to raid into Babylon and uh, will enable them to come and to fall upon them. In verse number 12, it speaks of this. Vial number 7, at the conclusion of chapter 16, describes a mighty earthquake like man has never experienced before. I tend to believe that this earthquake, right now an earthquake would be very regional, affect maybe the north, uh, northern part of California or up in Alaska, over in Japan. Uh, that is coming from within the earth as the platelets uh, move against each other and it causes a rumble in a region of the earth. I believe this earthquake, this great earthquake like man has never seen before, 
will become from without as God shakes the entire planet of earth. Again, uh, displaying his, his wrath upon a earth that has rejected him. And this will be a, an earthquake that will move mountains, will move islands, islands will disappear. Think about the great tsunamis that happened several years ago as they came in and rushed uh, huge tidal waves way into the uh, uh, places of, 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 a, of a coastline that had never reached before. And things like that will happen where islands will disappear. Mountains that were once there will be gone. It's going to completely shake this earth. And on top of that, verse 21 describes great hail falling out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. It's at least 100 pounds. Some people estimate that it could be higher than 100 pounds. And can you imagine a 100-pound hailstone falling from the earth, uh, falling down upon man, and again, man will reject God. These vile judgments, these trumpet judgments, these sealed judgments have all fallen upon the earth now. And that leads us to chapter 17. And you look at that picture and you think, what in the world is that? Isn't it a hideous looking thing? And it's describing for us here in Revelation chapter 17. Notice with me verse number 1 down through verse number 5. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have, made, have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored excuse me, colored beast full of, uh, of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Well, we're introduced to a woman here in chapter 17 in these first five verses. But look with me to the very last verse of chapter 17. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The woman that is being described for us is a city. We know it as Babylon. Uh, Babylon, uh, for some, they would say that it's a figurative, it's a picture only. It's representing a culture, it's representing a religion, a society. Others, including myself, I believe it to be a literal city, a literal real place that also is going to represent a culture, a one world religion, a one world government that will be present in this day that we're reading about in chapter number 17. Now today, the Babylon, you can go to the ruins, you can go to the place where it once was. And I believe that it's going to rise again one day, either before or during these tribulation days here. 
we're going to see it rise up again. So let's consider Babylon for this, this, this evening. Now, put on your thinking caps for a moment. In the Bible, it's not a trick question. You should get this right. Uh, what city is mentioned or referred to the most in the Bible, do you think? Jerusalem. Good job. Everybody got 100% on that question, all right? Jerusalem. Now, interesting. What city would be mentioned the second or referred to the second most times? Again, it's not a trick question. We're talking about it tonight. Babylon. These are the two most frequently referred to cities. In fact, I think I read somewhere that Babylon is referenced 300 times in the Bible. Now, it's not always called Babylon, but it may be a verse that's describing it, much like these verses that we read this evening didn't say the name, but it's referring to it 300 times. Not always Babylon, but where would you think the very first time Babylon is mentioned, and it's not called Babylon there, it's called a different name. Where do you think that might be? It's the very first book of the Bible, chapter number 10. Let's turn there, if you will, this evening. Genesis chapter number 10. And let's get a little history or a little background on Babylon. In Genesis chapter 10, verse number 1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. If you will, drop down with me to verse number 6. We're going to look at the sons of Ham, Noah's second son here. And the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, and Foot, and Canaan. So we see the four sons of Ham, and now we're going to look at the sons of Cush, Ham's firstborn. Seba, Havilah, and Sabata, Rama, Sabakta, and the sons of Rama and Sheba and Dedan, and Cush begat Nimrod. Key name there. Key, key person. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Nimrod became a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was, take note now, Babel. There is our first reference to this great city that we're going to be talking about here from Genesis chapter 10 all the way to the book of Revelation now, Babel. It says, and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Shinar would be the land of Mesopotamia. It'd be that whole region there. And so here we have this city introduced to us, and its, its founder is the great-grandson of Noah. His introduction to us, he's described as mighty, as a mighty hunter, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And so there's not a lot for us to gain on him, but what we do learn about him is from his name, Nimrod. It comes from, it's derived from some words and some language groups that according to the books and multiple sources that I read, all agreed that his name means rebel, rebellious. And he's a man that is going to begin this place called Babel. 
this man of rebellion, this man that is a rebel, he begins this place called Babel. Now we are more familiar with Babel from chapter number 11 of Genesis. Do you remember what happens in chapter number 11? The people of Babel decide they're going to build them what? A tower that will reach into the heavens. And they do so. They build this tower and they're trying to get into the heavens. And the Lord recognizes this and sees this. And, and, and because he says, if, listen, I'm going to let them do this. There's nothing that they will not attain to. And God causes what to happen there? He causes confusion, and he does that by the changing or the, the now the introduction to multiple languages. Nobody could hear anybody in their own tongue. It causes great confusion at Babel, and it causes them to disperse. And those that spoke language A went this way, and language B went that way, and languages, they went all their different directions, and it caused them to disperse. And so here you have this rebel that brings along this, this city here, Babel, which is a place of confusion. In fact, that's what the word Babel means and refers to as confusion. And so we see the beginnings of Babylon all the way back in Genesis. Now, today, where Babel or Babylon would be would be in modern-day Iraq. Think of Iraq. In fact, Saddam Hussein wanted to revive Babylon. That was one of his desires. And modern-day Iraq is about 50 miles south of where Baghdad today is. So for those individuals in here that have been there, been in that region, and you've served there, about 50 miles south of Baghdad is this place called Babel. Now, it was a significant city in the Bible. And it came to its pinnacle of power during the reign of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. We've heard that name, right? The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. It was during his reign that the city flourished. Um, it had great walls built around it. There's a Greek historian that claimed that the walls of Babylon were 56 miles in length. Now think about that. From here to right here, I did a Google search or a Google Maps today. From here to the center, city center of, of Manassas is 13 miles away. Think about that. To get to the middle of downtown Manassas from Heritage Baptist Church, 13 miles. Just go one mile farther. 14 miles square would be 56 miles. That's a large city, isn't it? That's a big place if you can imagine a square city of that nature. Uh, this, this historian said that from the ruins and the things that they have found that there were walls there that were at least 80 feet thick. The thickness of the walls were 80 feet. I should have done some figuring in here tonight. Pastor Tangeman, count the tiles. How far is 80 feet for us here? Uh, you know, I, how far from front to back here are we, Pastor T? Just a guess. 110 feet, so almost what we see in here, the walls were that thick. Isn't that an amazing thought? The thickness of these walls, 320 feet high. I mean, the, the walls that were built around this city, it made them, it gave the, the Babylonians, it gave Nebuchadnezzar and those that lived there this great confidence that no one could get to them. Not only did he do this, 
He also diverted the Euphrates River so that it ran around the perimeter of the city, giving a, a, another barrier for any enemy that could ever come to them. He also brought tributaries in off of that. You remember the hanging gardens of Babylon? Uh, they were fed by these tributaries that he brought into this. And so we see the beginnings of the city and we see the rise of this city, this impenetrable city that could not be attacked. But we do know that it falls. In fact, in fact, the scripture prophesies the fall of Babylon well before it happens. The book of Jeremiah, which is about 60 years, there are multiple references that Babylon would fall. This great city would fall. But even greater than Jeremiah's prediction, I think, is the one of Isaiah. Because Isaiah predicts it, and it's about 150 years, but you know what goes beyond that? Isaiah names the guy, names him by name that's going to lead this, and he's not even born yet. It's a man named Cyrus, the leader, the Cyrus the Great of the Persians. He's named before he's ever born and told what he's going to do. And that's exactly what happens. You remember in the book of Daniel when Belshazzar's having this, this drunken feast and the handwriting comes out on the wall and he brings Daniel in there and he interprets all those things. History will tell you that on that night, Cyrus, who could not get over the walls, could not get through the walls, you know what he did? He went under the walls. You know how he did it? This river that he had, uh, that he had brought there that gave this people this great confidence, he dammed up the river a little bit north of the city there. The river stopped its, it, its flow, and they just took his armies right underneath those walls there and went in, and they were able to defeat the Babylonians on that evening. We see the beginning of the city, the rise of the city. You see the fall of the city. And now what we learn in Revelation 17 and 18 is this. This city is going to rise again. It's going to be active. It's going to be uh, 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 leading the world. It's going to bring the world together in its, in its politics and more so in its religion. Now, there's all kinds of thoughts about the religion of Babylon. Is it uh, of a particular denomination, all those things? And I really don't know. There are good people on all sides of those things there, but there is some type of uniting religious force that brings this all together. Do you ever hear us or other churches that caution about ecumenicalism? about coming together with whoever for the common good. Listen, that will be, you'll see ecumenicalism in its highest point in the tribulation period, where all denominations and religions will come together, will be united as one against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, there are those that will not accept the mark of the beast. There will be those that reject it, but there will be few of them the majority of this world will fall into line with the religious system of the Babylonian system here in the book of Revelation as described here. Interesting. We see the beginning of the city, the rise of the city, the fall of the city. One day it's going to rise again. It's going to be flourishing once again. But guess what? It's going to fall again. 
it's prophesied that it will fall. Look with me at chapter number 18, verse number 2. It says, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, this is this angel, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. This city that was began with Nimrod, rose up to its pinnacle of power with Nebuchadnezzar, falls under that time by Cyrus the Great, will rise again underneath Satan, uh, the Antichrist, the false prophet, all these things. They will bring it back, and only to fall once again. So we're entering this time period now of when the, this, their system is falling apart, and it's going to lead us into chapter number 19, as we get ready for this return of Christ, the battle of Armageddon, and the establishment of the Lord's kingdom here on the earth. 